Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Paul, what's up, man? Two months. You know, living the dream. It's almost spring. I'm looking at the calendar. It says February 28th, and that means we're almost past the worst month of the year. Yeah, it was It was nice today. It was uh, like 45. We saw the sun for the first time yesterday in what felt like five months. It was nice. Like, I, I feel like we haven't seen the sun since like mid-October. It was beautiful. Dude, yeah. The uh, the weather is starting to change. And I don't know. For whatever it is, I really hate the month of February. It just wears on me. Even though it's the shortest, like I'm ready for March. And I know we'll still have plenty of dreary days and stuff like that. But the fact that we are getting closer to more consistent warm weather is just... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I think March is my least favorite month because March is like the only month that it could be 80 degrees on a Tuesday. And then that same Friday, like three days later, it's 10 degrees. Well, yeah, that, you'll have that. I, I like that. That pisses me off because I don't want those 80 degree days. If you're going to be crappy weather, just to tease just you, be crappy, just tease. Yeah, you. don't 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 tease me. Just the tip. I don't want that. I don't want just the weather tip. <laughs> Paul just keep deep. it away from it. No tip. Just, <laughs> he goes deep. So, uh, so what, what do we got? What do we got going today? We've got uh, we got go wild. Always go yeah, wild. Just talk about it. Free social media platform. I'm on there. Months is on there. Podcast is on there. You guys that are following us and inter interacting with us on go wild, appreciate you guys. Get on there. No censorship. Your hunting photos. Your fishing photos. Don't get all political on there. No one wants to see that shit. Save that for Facebook. Don't be fighting with people on there. It's a great community. I love it. I've embraced it. Really appreciate those guys and what they're what they're doing uh, with, with Go Wild. So you sign up, you get ten dollars free to use on whatever you want. They got some really cool turkey turkey stuff coming up from uh, North Mountain. They've got uh, you know what I want, man. I want one of those Garmin watches. I don't need it. Like I, I have absolutely no use for it. I'm gonna buy one. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna use my ten dollars. It's Dude. still there in my account. So go to time to go wild.com. You can find it on the App Store, Google Play, Apple App Store, all that good stuff. So So one of the things I really like about the app is it's got the you know, like the wall that you can scroll through and stuff, but you can pick which they call it trail mix, uh, which yeah. trail you want to go down. So right now, if you want to go out and see everybody's sheds that are being posted uh great place go to the shed hunting one and you can see you found some sheds yeah that was my highlight you of the found week. like you found like the oldest sheds possible <laughs> so you got <laughs> which which i didn't realize that like sheds lasted like that that that's a good that's a good deer that you're holding up right now this one was yeah, solid 
And yeah. it's got a little bit of chew on it. It was missing a tine. Actually, that tine was laying in uh, the leaves where I found it, but I just left it there because it was like all falling off and stuff. But yes, I did. I got a chance to go out a little bit uh, by myself, private land. I uh, found three, officially three. Uh, they might be from three years old, but uh, I think this one was last year. And then the one I have is so chewed up. I don't even know how I found that. But So what's chews it up? Is it just like ants or something? No, I think it's uh, squirrels and rodents, rabbits. Oh, they, really? they can use the calcium or something out of the bone. And sharpen oh, okay. their teeth and all that kind of stuff. At least that's how I understand it. Not an expert, but uh, so yeah, I'll take it. Three for the year to start. So try to get. Out. I got. We went out with the kids um, Sunday. It was, it was shed hunting with kids. I mean, my daughter is like so. All she wants is I just want to find a shed, be my most prized possession. So I have to figure yeah. out how to find her a shed, <laughs> uh, or help. Her take fine one, take one. one with you and just you know, drop it. And I like, thought about that. Like, yeah, in front of her. But there's a part of me that, like, the super competitive side of me that's like, no, you want one? You need to go find it. Like, we're not going to play this snowflake game. So, yeah, no, I get that. So, I we'll get have that. to, I'll have to get her back out there. I think I want, I want to go to like big, some big public land uh, where I was at the other day. It really was more of a metro park type of thing. Yeah. What you been up yeah, to? There's a, uh, I oh, mean, I've just been trying to settle into this to this new job, and uh, you know, kids are cranked up with school. Just that same old stuff. I I, I tried to get out and do some turkey, not turkey hunting. Jeez, um, some rabbit hunting. Sunday was the last day. Yesterday was the last day here uh, in the state of Ohio for rabbit hunting, and I just couldn't. I you know, every every all the guys who were going to go with backed out and. You know, it was like five fifteen. I was it was just man, like nah, I'm not going. <laughs> so I went back to bed. So I won't get to do hunting any 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 more hunting until until spring turkey season officially rolls around. So, dude, when I was out with those sheds, uh, I damn near stepped on some rabbits. I, they got so I got so right? close to them. And of course, I startle easily, so it scares the shit out of me. But, um, yeah, man, they they like they rabbits. They they will wait till you were like right there. I mean they know they know what they're doing, so they definitely they'll they'll definitely bust out. I get I get really excited when I rabbit hunt or pheasant hunt. So like it'll be you know we'll be right on top of them. They'll bust out and I'll just scream like rabbit <laughs> like as loud as I can. I'm sure I sound like a complete goon. But do you say like wascally wabbit? Wascally. Next time I do that with all my my hunt buddies, I'm like wabbit. It's wabbit <laughs> season. That yes. So yeah, that's, that's a good one. So there was, um, you and I have had this, this conversation quite a bit and we're going to talk a little bit about conservation and don't check out if you're listening to it, people check out when you start talking about conservation. So Dan, Dan Johnson, nine fingers Chronicle had a really, had a really good podcast. He just released, what was it like last week, early last week. And it's, uh, it's titled the, the hunting industry is not doing enough. And it was basically kind of people that have a platform and like months we have a platform, like we're not, you know, we're, we're never going to be like the working class bow hunters. Like those guys, man, they got, they got a huge platform and they do a really good job. Meat eater, the hunting public, Dave Owens, all these guys, they have like these massive platforms. Some of them have millions of followers. And Dan's point was 
with this platform, we need the hunting industry, people involved in hunt, creating hunting content need to talk about conservation, talk about the threats to our hunting heritage, the threats to our gun rights. Cause we all hear about it, you know, and the West, like what Colorado, Arizona, California, all at the same Washington, all within a matter of weeks had all these issues come up in their house, you know, the legislators to outlaw certain types of hunting, like, like the state of Washington lost their spring bear season. They're working on getting that back, but yes. You, yeah. They're working right. on getting it back, but right now it's, it's, it's done. And, you know, I feel like, and, and this is just me speculating, but I feel like when you lose those privileges, like when they're taken away and not like what we had with Turkey season with the reduction here in Ohio, but like if a legislator says we're taking away your right, your ability to be able to hunt white-tailed deer, that it's going to be real hard to get it back. Black bears, whatever it may be. So I feel like once those things go away, it's it's hard to get them back. So, you know, conservation is something that's obviously it's near and dear to my heart. It's what I do for a living now. Fortunately, man, I, I couldn't be more excited to be a part of that. And, and so I think when, when, when people talk about like conservation, and this is me 10, you know, five, 10 years ago, like someone says, well, conservation, wildlife, what is, what does that mean? In the definition of, of conservation, like the literal definition, the dictionary definition, the act of conserving prevention of injury, decay, waste, loss, prevention or preservation, excuse me. And so I think like in Ohio, we lose, we lose sight and, and like is, is hunters, we lose sight of what that, of what that means, because it's just like, it's, you hear this word you, you and, and you hear like stories like, oh, okay, someone else is doing that. Cool, man. As long as I get to buy my tag, the land's still available for me to use. No one cares as long as all that's happened. But there's a, there's a lot of like really good conservation work going on in the state of Ohio. And this is tangible stuff. I mean, this is stuff that like we can see that benefits us as hunters. And I'm just going to highlight one project and this is through Ducks Unlimited there's there's a program um and we've talked to the state of ohio about about getting the woman on that runs this program the h2 ohio program and between the h2 ohio program and ducks unlimited there's been like there's almost a billion dollars that have been put into conservation work in the state of ohio in the great lakes region so not just the great lakes but like the the counties just below it about fixing water or you know habitat for for ducks and geese nesting habitat um marshland and so that's something that's that's going on in the state of ohio that we can see and 7500 acres just recently has been converted to wetland habitat for ducks and that's something that's that's tangible to hunters in ohio yeah and if you don't have waterfowl there's other things I mean, we could talk about it all day but that's just one slice of conservation work in the state and i'll tell you from somebody who grew up on the lake uh that kind of stuff is really important, especially in the summer, at least for the guys fishing and the charters and, and all that kind of stuff. It brings a lot of revenue and different things into the little communities up there. So it's there's more to it than just setting land aside for some ducks, right, or uh, trying to clean up the water a little bit. It goes down the line quite a bit. Yeah, it it, it, it definitely does. And, and, you know, so many of us, we just care about one, like, like everyone knows, man, I have a one track mind and it's got a beard and tail not feather. You. No, not you. And, oh yeah. And you, you got a one track mind, a little white tail. So, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's the conservation work that goes into 
the state and this this resource and the resources the wild animals that we like to shoot and kill i mean that's what that's what that's what we like um and enjoying the great outdoors and there's there's a lot of work that's going on in the state and it's it's very important work so keep an eye to it we're gonna talk about it yeah and dan always says you know people think that white tails will never come up well guess what it will if that's it's that domino effect that snowball once they get we're going with one it's the uh the gateway to the rest of them so well here here so here here's one that like that is that is a loss of hunting privilege that affected me personally uh the city of Gahanna had an urban deer hunting program for years years i mean over a decade and the police chief i can't remember his name awesome guy he retired and one of his officers i don't know who this guy is he's still there now so if you're from Gahanna find this ass i'd love to talk to him but he gets on, he gets the job as the police chief in Gahanna. And there's a quote, I've, I read this quote a year ago, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, but I'm going to paraphrase, like just to, to get the point across that he didn't think that it was necessary to have that, you know, it was basically, it, it wasn't necessary to have an urban deer hunting pop or program in, in Gahanna. Like it, it was, it was kind of like, who needs to kill a deer? You know, it was basically what he was saying. So he ripped the program away from urban hunters. It's not coming back as long as that schmuck's in office. It's not. It's not coming back. And that program was in you know property damage, deer versus car collisions, you know all those things were being managed by hunters, and we've talked about it with Mike Tonkovich about the deer herd population and and how hunters have an active role in, in keeping that healthy. And some non-science, you know, conforming you know, hippie that <laughs> doesn't want us hunting, you know, deer it just comes in and just rips away. That could happen to literally any of us at any moment. And it's a real thing, man. Yeah. Real- we had that talk with Tonk and I mean, he went out of his way to say that, you know, the population's too high, but that's a different day. We'll get to that different a different day. day. Uh, uh we got turkey season coming up. Yeah. There was uh something I saw here. We've got, you can apply in March for the spring fishing and hunting opportunities uh, with OD, uh, the Division of Wildlife. So these are some of your kind of lottery type of areas where trout fishing at the Coldwater Creek in Erie County, um, some youth turkey hunts, stuff like that. Uh, let's see. If you go to ODNR, their website, they've got more information there. But it looks like the online application period is open from March 1st to March 31st. And you can do that either on the wildlife licensing system webpage or the Hunt Fish Ohio mobile app, which is pretty handy too. So if you're interested in any of those opportunities for the spring, you can check those out. I apply for those damn things every year. Never gotten one. Ever. Never. ODNR, listen to me. Paul Campbell. <laughs> Pull my damn tag. I've been applied for for years. There's probably like six Paul Campbells and you're just... Right. We, I applied for that moose. I applied yeah. for that moose uh that moose hunt in Maine for the first time. If I get it, I'm gonna be real salty because I you know, I like I am probably not gonna be able to hunt moose in Maine this year. It's just a crab shoot, but yeah, I applied for duck hunts, special turkey hunts, everything. Never never been called. Duck blinds. A couple years ago, Blackhand Gorge had a thing that you could apply for. Nothing. So you are you know, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get pulled all of them in one year. What's that? You'll get pulled one of these years. You'll get pulled oh, for every great. one of them. Yeah, that'll be great. In the same year. Yeah, I'm not gonna hurt my feelings. I'll, I'll believe it's real when I when I get. Goodbye, pulled. wife. I'm going hunting for the yeah. rest of the year. <laughs> right. 
You know what I did the other day, Mons? Tell me. I pulled all of my turkey calls out of the basement. Yeah. Everyone. Every one of them. And I have been practicing in, in, in the house, driving my wife and kids crazy. Love it. I didn't tell you this, Paul. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know how I like. I. I. I blow my duck calls at the kids walking by. I'm gonna start gobbling at them now, hooting at them as the kids walk by from the bus and see if they see if they respond. So hey, make sure you video that and then we'll put it up on Go Wild. We'll do that. You hear that? That'd be great. Oh yeah, fucking yeah. parent, man. I'm ready. Like this is the point of the year that I, like, my brain just glosses over and I just like. This is a nonstop gobbling in my <laughs> my head until the uh, the beginning of June. So yeah, I didn't tell you this, but I uh, picked up an elk, some elk calls and uh, bugle tube. So you bought a bugle tube? Yeah, not really sure I why. I mean, I always had this idea that I'm going to go elk hunting, but <laughs> yeah. So I can't wait to start screwing up. The dog didn't really like that one. Yeah. Oh man, I bet not. That's why I want to. I we're we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna start going to public land in Ohio during the rut. Different <laughs> <laughs> I want I want the ODNR to get like a hundred. Like you sit calls. on you sit yeah, on one I, ridge and I'll sit on the other. We'll call back yeah. and forth to each other. These elks were bugling at each other in Zaleski State Forest. I swear to God, I heard it. Like that's what I, I want. Like like the new Sasquatch in Ohio is gonna be us elk calling. So oh, that's hilarious. Oh well, man. This week we have a fun one, man. This was a blast putting this together. Yeah. Barn burner. So let's see. It's pretty clean. Uh, I did go back and listen to most of it. It's clean enough. But uh, so what we did this this week was we got a couple of the other guys from the Sportsman's Nation. So we've got uh, Parker McDonald and Dan Johnson, Nate Thomas, uh, Garrett Prohl. And I think that was it. We got we got some good. There's some those those guys are big, man. Yeah. Oh, and but there's a blast. So like, just so much fun behind the scenes. We don't we talk to these guys a little bit here and there, but we don't ever really get to talk and just kind of have a BS session. And that's kind of what this was. And it was uh, there's some there's some pretty good good laughs in there, and it was a lot of fun. So yeah, it uh it it stayed on track for the most part. Um, it was good, man. I thought I thought it was fun. Yeah. So, and if you don't listen to any of their shows, you need to go listen to them because they're very very knowledgeable and uh, bring a different perspective uh, other than Paul and I do. So, so that, one one shout out months first official review of our podcast on on Apple iTunes. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Android, Spotify, Podbean, all of them. Website o2podcast.com. Sports Nation, first official review, B. Morris, 8589. Appreciate you, man. Much, much love. Thanks for the view. Review. So, yeah. absolutely. And get if, on there. Review us. If, appreciate it. If B. Morris wants to get in touch with us one way or another, uh, let us know. We will get you some stickers heading your way. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, this this episode it's gonna be fun, man. It, it how long was it? it? Was like an hour and fifteen minutes, something like that. So I had to cut some of it out, but yeah, oh, did it, you? Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be good. It's a uh, yeah, buck, buckle up, folks. So it's a good appreciate one. you guys for listening. Yep, and uh, just if you want to reach out, go wild. We're O two podcast. 
Instagram, the.o2.podcast. Twitter is at Ohio Hunt. If you want to leave us a review on any of the podcasting things, that would be great. Um, and then our website is theo2podcast.com. Got some stuff up there if you're interested. But without any further ado, Paul, this is the BS Roundtable with the dudes from the Sportsman's Nation. Rip it. Enjoy, people. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight, we've got a very, very cool show. Uh, so this was one of Paul's brilliant ideas to get the uh, get a little Sportsman's Nation Network roundtable going. Uh, so on today's show, we've got representation from Alabama and the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, Mr. Parker McDonald, Ooh, Nate Thomas, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> over in uh, Missouri, Missouri Woods and Water, uh, Garrett Prol with the DIY Sportsman, right? Yep. yep. And the boss man, Mr. Dan Johnson, from like six of the different shows on the network. So, um, <laughs> we, the boss, the godfather. I'm not a boss. <laughs> the boss man. So the uh, we're gonna just kind of like go around and, and and go through a few different things tonight. But honestly, as I sit here at nine ten, I have no idea what's about to come down the pipeline. So. Um, the first thing I just want to touch base, Dan, how's, uh, what are you doing to prepare for your upcoming Turkey season? I know you get excited about that, right? Mm, about two hours before I pull the trigger on my shotgun, I'll take it out of the case. <laughs> that's every morning. That, that's every morning when you get up to go practice. Well, no, literally that's how much <laughs> I put in to prepping for Turkey hunting. I mean, I may blow the dust off my decoys that have been sitting in my garage in the same corner that they're always in after the three days I put in three or four days I put into uh, turkey hunting. So I guess I'll do that. And then I'll go out to where the turkeys live and try to shoot them. And I'm not is, joking. That is as deep as it gets for me. And Midwestern turkey hunting sounds so easy. It does. I, like, I, I <laughs> What you're saying is you wake up in the morning and you piss excellent. No, right, Dan. Uh, if you ain't first, you last. Probably just pure bourbon, to be honest with you. So I, I actually, I, I wanted that was the first question I want to start off with. So there's six of us on this call. Who has an alcoholic drink with them at this moment? Cheers. Nothing for Nate. Nothing for Garrett. So just uh, four of us. I I brought four beers. So I'm going to see how many beers I can get down through this talk. So drink, drink mine for me. You got it, buddy. I'm a one beer, one beer guy. One beer, one beer guy. Yep. Got a cooler oh, for maybe. the office now. Oh, there you go. <laughs> right up. So, so, so turkey hunting. Like I, I, I swear to God, I, I probably walk seven miles every turkey hunt I go on. Like that, that pisses me off. I'm so jealous of that, Dan Johnson. Like that breaks. No, no, no. <laughs> you're, con- you're confused. Yeah. Like, you think that I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you want to have, hey, listen i'll sit here and just listen to you guys like you can just talk to parker like anytime you want any like just skip my question and 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 uh shuffle it over to parker because i this is no joke i once shot a tom over top of a trash bag that was blowing in a cornfield that was stuck on a corn stalk and a tom was strutting around it and i shot it <laughs> 
So there is. That's a cheap that's, decoy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really at, and I one one more quick story. I was there when the archery world record was broken. I was actually the cameraman. Um, and earlier that week, the guy who shot the turkey hit the decoy with a lawnmower in a ditch out in front of his house and he found it. It had an ant's nest in it. We put it up, called in the world record atypical turkey. He had like seven beards and he shot it with a bow. So that's really all I got. A weird flex, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go I go back to my piss and excellence thing in the morning. Sounds like you do. That's right. great. When I was in yeah. college, uh, I was at OU for a couple of years. So that's down Athens, Southeast Ohio. But I had a buddy at Hawking, which is like the tech school next door. And they had a kid get thrown out of school. I don't know, second week for shooting at a, at a turkey out of his dorm room window with a shotgun. I mean, <laughs> because and that, that was back in like the early 2000s. And, you know, that was frowned upon back then. So it's so weird. I've gone to uh, like Nebraska um, to turkey hunt, which is a long way from here in Alabama and people, local people in there will be like, y'all come all this way to hunt turkeys. It's like, yeah, absolutely. We came all this way to hunt turkeys. They're like, Oh, or we got a, we got a bunch of them up here. <laughs> it's like, like, I got a permission. Slip. Did you say Let's you go. went to Nebraska yeah. or to Canada? That, I, no, <laughs> no. Or are you up in Northern Minnesota? <laughs> so here's the weird part about the accents. Okay. Um, like, Whenever I went to, I was actually in North Dakota this year. We met like a whole bunch of like real country people, people that where I'm from, you know, and I barely know how to talk English. But when we went up there, they're like, how you guys doing? And I was like, that voice just doesn't match. <laughs> it's like some old corn farmer that's like got three teeth in his mouth, looks country as I'll get out and he starts talking like that. It's just kind of a weird thing uh, when you're used to the Southern twang. Garrett, yeah, you should get away with that. I guess. <laughs> give, give us give the accent. Give us the A. <laughs> I, I never really, I never think that I really developed it that much. But every now and then, if I talk to somebody from like Missouri, they're like, oh, you kind of sound like you have a Minnesotan accent. And yeah. I, I guess you tell me. I don't think I have one, but I'm not the expert. Hey, do me a, do me a favor. Say you know. You know. Uh, ah, you're, you're fine. Barely. You're fine. Just yeah, barely. You're fine. Yeah, that's the other one you hear all the time up there. So, so you should try living in Missouri. We have like five different dialects in our own state. <laughs> yeah, Missouri's a weird one. Yeah, that's a weird one to get used yeah. to. Ohio, we have nothing. I mean, we say like you get like the northern people, yep. you get a little nasally, and we have the people down south that think they're from Alabama and they talk like that. And it's like, no, you haven't even gotten past the Ohio River yet. Right. You get some cricks and hollers when you get down into like Athens County, but for the most part, it's not like that. But so let's, I want to, Dan, I want to hear that big eight that you shot this year. I was watching your it Instagram. It needed another year. Let's be honest. This, I, I was like emotionally involved in these, in these reels, man. I, I, I could not wait. And you waited like three days to post pictures of this deer. And I was like, God damn it. Like, hurry up, man. I want to see this thing. Like the buildup was awesome. Give us a quick story about that. Was that, uh, was that you so he woke, he woke up, he started thinking about deer two hours before the, <laughs> before the hunt. Had you, had you hunted this deer all year long? It's just one of those, like you woke up and like, oh, there's a shooter deer. 
in Iowa, there's 200 inch deer behind every Freaking house. Iowa, and apparently turkeys behind every bush. It was unbelievable. I, you guys are gonna hate me. Oh, you! I, I, this was like I had hunted up by around my house um, on a small piece that I have up here. It gets pounded with a lot of pressure, and uh, I, I was I was just hunting before hunting this piece before. Um, I headed down to my main piece and uh, put some time in just because of it wasn't quite time yet. You know, um, I always think like the pre-rut goes until, especially on the farms that I hunt, it's it's pre-rut type deer behavior all the way up until November 4th or even maybe even a day, a day later. But I showed up on the third, the evening of the third. I went to this, one of my favorite river, river bottom stands. I had the right wind. I checked trail cameras. I went back to that same stand in the morning because I got pictures a hand, just a couple days earlier of that buck. Uh, and, I, and then after the morning hunt, I went and checked another trail camera. I had a text message conversation with the other people who hunt the farm. Uh, and I try to stay away. They have permanent tree stands. And so I... I, I, I try to stay away from them, but this buck was running this, this, it was where two drainages kind of meet in you. And so that's where a lot of the deer sign was. And so I texted him, he goes, yeah, we're, we're taking the night off and we're going to do something else. I instantly moved in that night and shot that buck. So he was, he was just, he was there and I made a move and got him. Then I put my bow back in my case. <laughs> were you, Dan, were you just in the, were you just in a, in like the general vicinity of their stands or were you like basically right on top of their areas? Nah, it was, I was probably 80 to a hundred yards from their stands and their permanent stands. They've been in the same spot for, I want to say 20 years. Okay. And you know, a lot of us don't hunt that way. Some of us do. But I knew where this deer was cruising and I, and I, but I didn't want to be that guy who just went and sat right on top of him. So I kind of waited and unfortunate for me, it just kind of gave us, gave me that, that opportunity, that opening. And I took advantage of it. That's wild. I noticed, I noticed here, um, I could think of probably four of the Alabama bucks that I've killed in the last two years have all been in those type of areas like that, that are like close to somebody's stand, but just outside of range of where yeah. they've been hunting at. And like, I started figuring that out too, whenever I'd go on blood trails, like whenever I was hunting on hunting clubs and then ladder stands at permanent locations and you'd go to track a deer and you'd go just right into the thick stuff where the deer probably ran. You're like, Holy crap, there's deer everywhere right here. And yeah. I've just been hunting this little bitty chunk. So I'd wondered if they, if those people had any encounter with that deer or he was just kind of skirting them. I know they had trail camera pictures of him, but there's no way that they would have had a shot at him that night um, because he was on the opposite side. He, he didn't come in between me and their stand. He came in away from me yet. So let me ask, let me ask you a question, Garrett. You, uh, you hunt a lot of public. There's probably a, a learned behavior from deer 
that flank some of these permanent stand locations. Are you ever flanking those permanent stand locations when you're going in and and hanging? It it kind of depends. A lot of places I hunt, you can't leave stands. Some places you can, and yeah. so even if you don't have an area where you can leave stands out, sometimes you still get guys that leave them out, or you might have guys that just go back and set up in the same spot regardless, even if they're you know taking hanging their set and pulling them back out, and so whether it's intentional or not, I think sometimes I end up doing that. Sometimes yeah, I'll yeah. find a good spot and I'll hunt it. And then on the way out, I might take some different route one day and find a permanent stand. Like, Oh, well that makes sense. Yeah. But it's, it, yeah, it's pretty situation dependent. Garrett, did you get a buck this year? I apologize if uh, I missed that. Nope. I did not this year. No, but last year you guys got a nice one off the ground. Was that last year you got the nice one off the ground? Yep. I watched that video the one day. So, Pretty, How often, pretty uh, scenarios this year. Just couldn't seal the deal. Had him, you know, multiple encounters on the the deer I was after, at half the distance that I shot my buck last year, and just never was able to release an arrow. Hmm. But that's part of the fun. Garrett, Garrett, how often are you uh, hunting off the ground? I'd say, in the some of the places I hunt in Wisconsin, it's probably forty percent. In most other states, it's probably lower. It's probably like maybe 10%. Usually if I just go into an area blind and I don't like, either I'm limited on time or I don't like the tree setups, then I'll sit on the ground. But more than anything, it seems like when I do hunt off the ground, it's because I feel like the ground hunt, whatever spot that is, is better than the options I have sitting out of a tree. Either there's not enough cover, I'm going to get busted if I go up in that lone tree, or there's just more often than not, there's no shooting lanes. (laughs) Maybe it's in the edge of a clear cut. It's just branches everywhere if you get off the ground. So you just tuck into those limbs and yeah. That started to uh, pretty good there. That started to intrigue me more the ground hunting, and mostly because the property I hunt, uh, when I'm making moves and doing a lot of you know running and gunning, some of some of the tree. I mean, most of the trees where I hunt suck, and so I find myself like throwing the stand on the ground and tucking up in some bushes or, or doing something different. And, uh, it, it's kind of freeing when I'm like, Hey, this stand is, I don't have to worry about hanging this. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's times I, I really like it, uh, compared to hanging a stand, but you know, I haven't done it enough to know all the intricacies of movement and things like that, that you have to deal with, um, a little more, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's really nice when you can just slip out of an area. If you got deer that are working in, and they just, either it's not the deer you're, you're after or or they just skirted you and took a different trail, but you know they're still hanging around there, you can just real quietly pick your stuff up and just start slipping back out. You don't have to worry about making a bunch of noise or racket or a bunch of movement up in the, the skyline. Right. I have trouble with the fact that I spent a lot of money on sticks and a saddle and all that stuff to, and then just walk around the woods. <laughs> I just I can't I can't get over that. Unless, like the time that Paul and I went down to a piece of public and I forgot my stick, so I just got to walk around with my platform and then I hung that on the tree and used it like a chair. But I still didn't see any deer, so. <laughs> okay, I'll ask, you, I'll ask you a question then. Is it because, like, you're always questioning yourself and saying, should I hang here or should I uh, not and... and and not going with your gut or are you overanalyzing because man, the harshest lesson that I've, some of the harshest lessons that I've ever learned on the biggest bucks that I've ever seen 
have been because I decided to go, I, I, I went in and then I maybe backed up 40 yards and they, they caught my scent somewhere along, along that line. If I would have just went in and set up right where I stopped and didn't backtrack, I probably would have had a better opportunity, but that overanalyzing killed me in, in, a, in those scenarios. Yeah, I've overanalyzed my entire life. So that's that happens, <laughs> that happens all the time. So yeah. you know what? The, my biggest problem is, I think I kind of mentioned that in one email. I Every time you guys, everybody, all the experts say, don't oversit a stand, don't oversit a stand, don't sit your good stands until it's like time to go. I just get too excited and I go right out to what I think is my good stand, but then it ends up not being and I, whatever. So. Live and learn, but did right? it end up yeah. not being because you hunted it too early? Probably. Uh, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I, so. I had something like that happen. But, dude, if somebody could give you, like, a magic pill to stop overanalyzing everything, I would I would pay good money for that. I'd OD on that. <laughs> yeah. I think weed does that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they, they made that already. You ain't climbing a tree if you're high, so <laughs> that's, that's also true. Yeah, maybe no. don't, maybe don't do that before you go use a weapon. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So Parker, we you did an interview with us back in in September, and and you were one of our first interviews, and thank you for that. And there was something that you said that really stuck with me, and I've thought about it all year. And you said, you know, kind of, you know, at the end of your hunting career, you want to be known as as a guy that was just really consistent, and that like I, I kind of latched onto that and and i think with with someone like me because i'm i'm a shitty deer hunter i'll say it right now awful like pr- like just the worst every deer that i've killed dumb luck every buck i've killed dumb luck no skill whatsoever it's like oh there's a deer this actually worked out so like with me i want to be that consistent that consistent public land hunter and you talked about your common denominators. I really like those. So let's let's just touch on those just, just real quick because I think those are important. And I want to hear what these other guys have to say about that, the common denominator process. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what I've tried to figure out are like these common denominators that aren't going to matter where you're really at in the country, right? So uh, it started in Alabama, kind of figured out what those things were that I was looking for and then like paralleled them with other states. And so like um, a, a, a swan or a, a good one would be like a, a clear cut here, like a that's just a fresh clear cut. That's just thick understory, not very tall, but deer can just disappear in. I've always kind of uh, paralleled those like when I went to North Dakota this year and they had the marshes out there with all the all the cattails and stuff. They the deer really use those areas very very similar. And so I've tried to, you know, draw those parallels, but for me, my, my main ones that I'm looking for, if I can find all of these things enter into one spot, um, is two to three or more, uh, different habitat types coming together. That's the first thing I'm looking for on a map is even if it's just two, if it's just a pine transition to hardwoods, I still will remember that. But what what really sticks out is when there's three or more. Um, so pines meet hardwoods meets clear cut, um, those three type transitions. So that plus, um, some type of terrain feature coming out of that point or within a decent proximity to that point. I feel like anytime those terrain features meet, um, in, in the hills, like where I hunt, um, you have terrain features like 
you know, mountains and stuff like that. Saddles, benches, things like that, ridges. Um, whereas you go to uh, somewhere that's more flatland, river bottom type stuff, your terrain feature might literally be a creek or a river that runs through it. So that would be that parallel there. But I'm looking for all these things at the same time. And then obviously the, the number one thing that I want is place that's not really crowded with people. Um, I would rather have a few deer on a WMA that maybe most people don't know about all to myself than have to share a really good deer population with uh, like 50 people. I think Dave Owen said that about turkeys and I couldn't agree with it, agree with it more. Like I would just, the pressure aspect is probably one of the more important things of it. So usually when I can find all three of those things, that's how I try to put together the, my puzzle, I guess. Parker, I have to say that I used I used that technique when I was over in Pennsylvania this year. So there's uh, I set up along uh, you know old woods, a clear cut, power line, like had all these different things going on. The clear cut though they they had put fencing around I guess to keep them from browsing it down, and let it come back or whatever. So that morning I think I saw nine deer. Seven of them were inside that fence, including the one that I shot. So uh, that was uh, that was interesting for me to see them all inside and, that fence. And you they may even I know like. I think Dan, I've heard you talk about like hunting in thin rows and stuff like that. And those type of areas, they may even be using like your, uh, the, the little fence that you're talking about at the same way that a deer would use a terrain feature. It's just something that kind of dictates movement. Um, so anytime I find an opening in a fence or something like that, I'm looking around right there because I feel like that's going to be the place that kind of manipulates how they move through there. So Gary, you do a bunch of public land hunting. What's, you know, kind of your process to be just that consistent, successful hunter on, on public land specifically. And I'm asking that because I hunt mostly public land because I'm broke and can't afford <laughs> property and too much of a chicken shit to ask for permission. So this is a selfish, selfish question. <laughs> yeah. I, I think <clears throat> I really agree with two of the things Parker said, one being pressure, the other one being max diversity and max diversity might present in different ways, depending on what, the landscape is but deer are creatures of edge and the more you can stack that edge in your favor up here it might be wiregrass march next to a chunk of cedar swamp connecting to dry ground hardwoods that's half you know six-year-old clear cut and then oak ridge and you get all that in a hundred acre pocket and you you're, you're gonna find a lot of deer side there unless there's a lot of pressure there's areas that i've started to gravitate more towards that are bigger like 5,000 10,000 type acres just because from a pressure aspect, it takes an awful lot of guys to make that feel overhunted. Compare that to even private land where you got 40s and 80s and 120s and everybody hunts. There's a lot more people hunting that type of land. And you get a lot more dead zones in the big public where maybe there's, like if you just had little GPS pings where everybody hunt throughout, hunts throughout a given year, you're probably going to notice that they're clustered and there's places where everybody's missing. And you're going to find areas where there's not much hunting pressure. And it might take a while, I feel like, to figure some of that stuff out. But if you put the time in and, and you do it, I mean, there's places I find every year that are not the places I would have thought to see deer sign and, and pressure. Maybe something that even I overlooked until I found it. But the key thing is there's no pressure there. And so if you're, you can be the guy who is piecing that together and finding those places that are less pressure, but also a place that the deer want to be, then I think that's going to go a long ways to making you consistent because that i mean that requires you to put some level of time into the woods and i mean time in the woods i feel like is one of those other ones that 
the guys who are ultra consistent, I feel like very few of them spend only a few days in the woods. And maybe some of them seem like they're ultra efficient with their hunts. Maybe they're, you know, seems like they're killing a buck every three days. But they're probably also putting in a whole bunch of time scouting, whether it's glassing, whether it's, you know, running trail cameras, whatever. If they can't spend a lot of time in the woods, you know, time investment is, is huge. So, so Dan, on some of these properties that you have where you've got other guys hunting these farms, and I don't, I don't know how big they are, what what do you do to, to kind of counteract some of that pressure? I mean, obviously, you were 100 yards from another stand, and that worked out really well for you this year. Is that What, what are some things that, that, that you're looking for when you've got a piece of property, say 400 acres less and down, pressure deer, what are you doing to be successful? Yeah, so the, the crazy thing is, is, Yes, pressure is important. These people take the same access, uh, no matter what the wind is, and they go to their their permanent tree stands uh, pretty much every hunt, okay? Um, if the wind's wrong, they're still there. So I, I get to use that to my advantage. I'll park off, uh, and I'll just walk a little bit longer into, into whatever the, the feature is. But their tree stand locations are easy to get to. And typically that means they're not in the right spot on the terrain feature. And we all know how, you know, we we hear how deer travel through terrain features. They're not skylining themselves and they're not walking on the, the last topo line in the bottom of anything. They're, they're hugging those ridges somewhere in between they're kept their plane thermals coming up or down and they're, you know, they're, along with the predominant wind direction and it allows them to feel safe so for me i i take into consideration where they are their access route their scent going in and then i'll just kind of flip that a little bit and come in from almost 180 degrees opposite and then j hook into my stand location so that if they ever do catch catch my scent in that particular scenario that they're within shooting range or in a shooting lane. Uh, so as far as pressure is concerned, I mean, I take it into consideration, but the deer still feel comfortable in certain areas. I, they're just, a lot of people see that as pressure, but it's not really pressure if they're not in the areas where deer are at. Right. So like if there was, I don't know, some of the best bedding area or habitat in a particular piece of a property. And all the pressure is on the outside of that, that comfort zone of theirs. They're probably going to still just chill in, in, in that, in that habitat. But I, but I go into the habitat to get them. So yes, it may look like pressure, but it's really not pressure. If that makes sense about as much pressure as a, a truck driving down a road or a farmer working his field. Nate, with your, you had a, a couple successful hunts there this year with your, your son and yourself, right? Yeah. Well, tell us yep. about your, what kind of grinding it's private, right? And there it was a private. Yeah. Hunt. Yeah. I, I haven't hunted public now in a, a few years. Um, <clears throat> so like the terrain features and the things that uh, like Parker and, and Garrett were kind of talking about, when you hunt a piece of private that's also pretty small, you learn that stuff rather quickly, right? You know, you know your terrain features after a while, and 
what I started doing two years ago was I started paying attention to what I would call historical data. And I, I log every little thing that certain bucks that I might be after do, whether I see them in person or I obviously have trail cams out on a piece of or private ground. And so I will, I will log everything he does, you know, 11:45 PM on, November 1st, heading west towards the uh, mineral, whatever, right? And I, so I'm, I'm kind of using what I know about the property and then trying to see what the deer that I might be after are historically doing. And then I'll try to decide what I'll do based off where he might be coming from and then the things I know about the, the farm already. So, you know, I've got a pretty big ridge, I guess you'd call it, in the middle of this. And they typically travel in a certain direction. But I started noticing some of the more mature bucks didn't do the same things that the other deer did. And so I started paying attention with through trail cameras and just maybe seeing them. What was it that they were doing differently? And can I catch them in a pattern somehow? And it damn near worked this year with the the main deer I was after. Um, but then it worked with the other one anyways. So um, I started just getting really meticulous and writing every little thing down. I keep it in my notes on my, on my phone. Do you change up what you're going to do with that data that, like that you see? I mean, or do you just like, this is the stand I'm going to hit it. Or do you make decisions? Oh yeah. The data that you've collected. Yeah. The, the deer I killed this year, it was it was because of what I was noticing him doing that made me move to the the set that I made the day I killed him. And had I just like gone where I thought maybe was the best spot that day, I would have not been anywhere near where I ended up, and I would have never known he was on the farm that day. But I I used what I started noticing with him through um, I had a sighting with him earlier, and then what he was doing on trail cam. I used what he was doing to change what I was doing the day I killed him because I thought he was going to continue his, I don't know, we'll call it loop of looking for the doe. And I knew where the does were. So I just had a feeling he was going to continue doing what he ended up doing, which got him killed. So um, yeah, I'll definitely use it. And that's why every, every night I'll look through it and, you know, you ever had that like aha moment where you look at something and, and you just hope it jumps out of the page at you? That's kind of what I do when I look at my stuff is, is there anything that jumps out? And I'll use that hopefully to my advantage. I tried turning on this deer layer on Onyx and it's supposed to tell you where all the deer are at, but it doesn't, it doesn't work when I, it doesn't want to load when I get out in the woods. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that, that way, I don't think. Oh. So Parker, when when do you start like when at the end of the season? When do you when do you start preseason scouting? Hunting on your the land that you hunt, looking for sheds and kind of scouting, looking at, at tracks, or do you do you start that midsummer? And I used to do that whenever I had kids, uh, or before I had kids. And now that I have kids, I'd like once deer season's over, I've got like a very short amount of time before turkey season starts here. Um, so this is a good thing though for me in that aspect because by the time turkey season starts um 
I'm definitely more of a run and gun type turkey hunter. I'm not just hunting a big field or anything like that. Like it's moving around, covering a lot of miles a day. And so, I mean, it's literally like a month after deer season ends and I'm back in the woods and covering ground. And uh, so I do most of my postseason stuff's going to happen right there around sometime around the end of March. Um, man, I can't tell you how many areas I've found and killed bucks in that I found because I was turkey hunting. Um, that happens a lot. So that's that's usually what I'm doing. And then once turkey season's over, um, I, I'm not going to say that I do a, a ton of scouting these days anymore just because my I have two kids and that makes it really difficult to go. But I, I typically like more of the uh, kind of scout and hunt type approach anyways during the season, especially early season. Just walk in somewhere, you know, you know, it you may be a place that you have history with and um, you just want to go and scout it and figure out how the deer are using it. Um, I, I like that approach a little bit better anyways than sweating my balls off in July. Yeah. So <laughs> here you go, Paul. Oh, look that? yeah. That's the deer I killed this year. That's every little thing I, I experienced with him this year. That's a lot and of, so it's just out of points. That's you see of, the bottom one though. It's a lot of that says? Boom. Uh, dead. <laughs> boom. Dead. That's the best one. That's what everyone wants to see. So let's, if, if, if does anyone else have anything to add about deer season? I just want to, I want to ask you guys, because you guys are, are, are professionals, um, when it comes to managing, this is off topic, but the, the family balance with doing the hunting, right? So I sit here, and I'm a victim of it, but whether it's social media or whatever, you know, we deer hunt, uh, boys over in Missouri are out slaying dogs every weekend, uh, then we get into the turkeys, the fishing, the shed hunting, like you can't really do all that stuff uh, and, and have a family and, and obviously a real job too. But uh, are there anything that you guys, you know, anything you do that helps with kind of managing that or prioritizing? Because we all want to be out in the woods and, and do that stuff nonstop. But at the same time, we realistically, we all have other things that are very important. Well, if people listened to uh, an episode um, that I did on the nine finger Chronicles with Dan, Dan said something in that episode that was very, just like, like what just Dan's a wise man in his age. And, um, <laughs> yeah, he said, we were talking about marriage and stuff. And he was, he said, I remember when my wife, she told me this year, she said, you know, that just didn't seem so bad. Once deer season was over, that just didn't seem so bad. And he's like, and that told me, that next year I can take a little bit more. <laughs> we'll try to find that breaking point. So I think that's pretty good yeah. wisdom from Dan. <laughs> that's dangerous though. I tell you, every, every year though, this is how I approach it. I build the bridges. I communicate. I pay attention. I spend time with the family and the wife, um, do fun things. And then hunting season starts and I burn every one of those bridges to the ground. And then I start building them again after I'm done with all my hunts. So, you know, after 10 years of being married and three kids and several arguments, we're to the point now in my, in, in our relationship where she understands it doesn't hurt that I'm in the 
business, you know, as far as running the, the network, but she understands, does she like it? No, but she complains less and less every year about it. And, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I get her back in other ways. So. What you're saying is just whittle them down over 10 years. That's the, that's the plan. Cause just I'm on wear like, them out like I'm breaking a horse. Six. I've got four years to go is what you're saying. That's the plan. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dan, you just talked about how you only hunted for like five days this season and, and walked it out on well, a leash. And well, what you like, okay, so uh, you went hard those five days, well, eight days in, <laughs> but you have to remember eight days in Nebraska, eight days in South Dakota, and then come back and started hunting Iowa. And then when I went down to my main farm, it was only, it was only three days, but it was a total of like 15 or plus 15 or more. So, you know, and my kids are crazy. Like you, it's almost like a Royal rumble every morning to try to get them fed and clothed before the school bus comes. So it's stressful. And, uh, you know, that's probably why we drink though. There's, it's weird to me because like, I hear a lot of guys, um, especially like Midwestern guys where, uh, you know, if you go hard in those, whatever, two weeks of November, like that's when, that's when everything goes crazy. But here in Alabama, like, and in a lot of the South, the rut times are so different. So like there's guys in South Alabama who have hunted all season long and their rut doesn't start until January. And so they're just like, they're just like worn down by the time even the rut gets here. Uh, and it's just like some, some odd, uh, I don't know, regional things that you see, like people in the Midwest are all jacked up in November and it makes it really hard for Southern guys to see all the social media posts from people in early November. And they still got two months for the rut. Um, right. So people, people down here just put in, they put in a ton of days just because that rut's not till January. Now I got a question, Garrett, you don't, you don't have any kids right now, right? But you are married. Yep. Okay. So what's the conversation like? He's rich, Dan. <laughs> what's the, <laughs> what's the conversation like it in your house? Like leading up to the hunting season, is there any groundwork that you have to lay or, or is, is your wife like, 100 percent understanding well <clears throat> she usually wants to go too no, oh, okay not not as she's not as i guess like into it as i am but she's pretty into it yeah but at the same time she she has more of a sense i think of responsibility for like making sure stuff is done around the house too yeah so she's the one who kind of keeps me in check and make sure that i'm doing my chores <laughs> so we, we kind of set up the ground rules like this time of year almost like hey let's let's work on this part of the house and you know We'll say June, July, because that'll be right after turkey season's done. We'll get a whole bunch of work done here. And then because once September hits, then it's deer hunting season and nothing's going to get done. Yeah. And then yeah. We, we just pick our times of the year where we're going to just, you know, put everything aside and just pound out a bunch of chores and housework and projects that we're going to work on. Garrett, you were, you're, uh, are you doing uh, DIY sportsman full time or are you still working a job? I am working one full-time job consulting on a couple other jobs and then also doing the YouTube stuff on the side. 
so your wife, she kind of married into kind of like that expectation because that was already a part of your career, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, when we first met, I had just, I was already doing the YouTube thing and I hunted a lot, but you know, it wasn't until a couple of years in that she kind of, I guess, realized how much, you know, of a part of it it was. But by the, by the time we got married, we'd been together for several years and it was, there was no surprises there. She knew what she my was. wife, my wife feels like I tricked her into it <laughs> because she didn't know how, how into it I was at the time. I think it's like a lot of people, like they don't realize the wives don't realize until maybe two years down the road. Like, Oh, he really meant that when he said he was into that. I married an addict. Whoops. <laughs> Our, my, I started dating my wife in September. Oh, geez. And I think it was like September or August or something like that. And she goes, Oh, I go, I'm going hunting this weekend. It was October. I'm going hunting this weekend. Okay. All right. Next weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm going hunting. Well, wait, you went hunting last weekend. So because of a, a previous relationship, the first, this was like two weeks into the relationship or two months into the relationship. I said this, if you are going to be with me. So this is like an expectation that I set. There's going to be a lot of time in October and November that I will be gone because I can't hunt deer in any other time except this particular time frame. Well, what she didn't know was that that turned into a trip in September, a trip in October, two weeks in November, <laughs> a trip in December, potentially trips in January. So um, it's, uh, I don't know, it went from tippy toeing to cannonball into the pool. <laughs> gotta love it. Nate, you guys got, you got kids in sports and stuff too, right? And you bet you got to juggle a lot of things. You're cutting out. You're on mute, bud. Are you on mute? You're on mute, bud. Technical request. Sign language. Got it. Well, using a, is he using a PC? <laughs> <laughs> we should do one of those funny lip, like the lip sync, or like the lip readings. Like, just keep talking, Nate. We'll just put words in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah my, my boy's in baseball. Gotta... <laughs> he goes yard every yeah. every game. Poor dude's having a hard time with the uh, IT tonight. Awful, the awful lip reading. Uh, oh god. Yeah, let's keep let's keep rolling. So so my like my thing, obviously, everyone knows this is is turkey hunting. I love it. I obsess over it 12 months of the year, 365 days a year. Christmas morning, I'm like box call time. Pop, 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 you know. And so this year I'm gonna have I got like nine out of state hunts planned and my wife is, is already puffed up about it. Like, I mean, it's, it's February and she's already bitching at me about <laughs> pink on Turkey hunting. I'm like, I haven't done it yet. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to whittle her down real good this year, Dan. So here, what'd you do? Buy her a Tahoe? No, no, none of, none of that. I took her to Nashville last week. So that was fun. That was my peace offering. So for a Turkey to, convention to go to a Turkey convention. <laughs> <laughs> I literally husband of the year, baby. I spent probably thirty minutes over a four day span with my family. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we took him to Louisville too. We did take him to Louisville, so they got drunk. They had a good time. Yeah, 
it was it was good stuff. So so I want to talk. So we we had we've had. Hey, some... can you hear me now? Oh can my god, he's him? back! He's back. Could you hear us talking shit about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan, you were close to right. Basically, what I tell my wife is. Listen, I'm a man and I'm going to do man stuff. Okay. <laughs> and- I'm 40. I <laughs> my beer out when you said so when, I'm an adult. So uh, are you bobbing to the left or the right when you talk yeah, to her both, like that? Both. Right. Both. Yeah. No, no. It was just, uh, we actually had an episode about like prioritizing your time because I've got four children. Andy's got two. Mike has got three. Like we're all busy. And um, I kind of turn, I don't know if I term the, coin the term but we talked about like banking days yeah and every every september 15th like i'm rearing to get into the woods but i know my chances of getting on the deer i really want aren't that great until later and so i try not pissing her off so quick you know in the year and um obviously we have discussions and dan kind of like you i'll um i'll you know i'll take the kids to school for her and i'll um do the dishes as much as I possibly can. And I don't make her touch my laundry, which she doesn't do a lot anyway. And, you know, I, like, I try to, I try to not cause more issues at home when I'm not there for her. Yeah. And then, um, you know, honestly deer season, we don't have that big of an issue, but the, the problem is we've gotten pretty hardcore into coyote hunting now. And she's like, what in the hell I thought, hunting was over and now in january you're asking to go hunting every damn weekend or whatever and um so we're, we're having to deal with that right now is the whole coyote hunting thing but uh that one's we'll hard we'll get through it because you can't eat them so it's like the, the, if, really. you, if you say you're gonna go out to fill the freezer that's one thing when i go out shed hunting she's like you're going out to find a piece of bone laying around in the woods like that doesn't do anything <laughs> for us yeah. so i mean i guess you could try to eat a coyote but i'm not gonna be one of those people so you you can well, i'll tell you this they're pretty good he says the guy from Alabama. They are pretty <laughs> like, dang for, good. For, for some reason, I'm not surprised. Uh, I ate one probably, I don't know, when I lived in Georgia. Yesterday. And You should try it. Try the back. It tastes like duck. It, if you like duck, then you'd like coyote. It's really good. Take your word I, for it. I'll, uh, you have to prepare it for me, and I'll try it. No, man. I'm, I'm not a good cook. I just... <laughs> Threw it on a grill with some oil and some salt and pepper. Now, the way I see it, if it has red meat, God meant for us to eat it. So, I mean, whether you choose to or not, I don't. I don't really care. I'm not, not going to get on a high horse about that at all to anybody. But, I mean, if it's red meat, it's probably going to taste all right. There you go, Nate. You just bring them home and start putting them in the freezer, and she'll <laughs> be even happier. You, know. you want to talk about starting fights with my wife? Then <laughs> it's Chinese food, bro. Like, hold on, hold on. You already bringing deer home getting blood all over my garage floor or whatever you're doing. Now you're bringing these dirty ass dogs <laughs> and all this in which obviously, you know, you skin them and, and use the hides if you can, but, uh, Oh, that would be funny. I should just do it one time just to mess with her. Right on the kitchen table. Just if she likes, eating if this tonight. She, if she likes duck, she'll like it. Don't even tell her. Don't tell her it's coyote. Like oh, I'm preparing I, I got in big duck. ass trouble for that one. Time. Can you put I'll this on TikTok? Cause I want to see it when, when she, when you feed it to her. So, Hey, you want to know a secret about my TikTok? Oh, yeah. I don't actually post on my TikTok. I only have TikTok because making videos on TikTok is 10 times freaking easier than on Instagram. So I'll make the video on TikTok. I'll share it only so I can view it. 
then I'll save it to my device and I'll post it on Instagram and then delete it off TikTok. <laughs> That's the only reason I have a TikTok account. I want to, I want to, I want you to record you throwing a coyote on the kitchen table and then tell your wife that you're a man and you can do whatever you want. Stand by, stand by. <laughs> Make sure you tag us all in it. Yes. Yeah, we'll have no more marriage problems after that. Nope, hey Dan, so uh, Dan, I'm not going to be able to get a, a episode out this week. I'm in the ER, <laughs> but I'm yeah. eating got a good coyote. So <laughs> through a straw. <laughs> uh, Parker, what do you got planned for turkey season, man? Uh, well, I'm going to start out in Florida. I'm going to go hunt Osceola's in Florida. I've never done that before, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, then I'll start Alabama season. Um, I think it starts like March the 25th now. They moved it back a little bit, so I'll hunt Alabama for probably a week or two and then um probably go to tennessee after that for a probably a quick like four day type trip uh just a long weekend and hunt up there the thing about tennessee is it's just like right in my it's in my backyard pretty much it takes me hour and a half maybe to get to uh some places in tennessee and I actually deer hunted mississippi this year so i'm thinking about possibly doing that and it's the same scenario i can drive an hour and a half and be on turkeys pretty easily in Mississippi. Um, so then in uh, May, probably the beginning of May, I'll go to Texas and hunt on my uncle's property in Texas. He just bought like a 200 acre ranch and uh, we're going to see if there's turkeys on it. So that should be pretty cool. Then if, if by that point I have killed an Osceola, bird an eastern in alabama tennessee or mississippi and i kill a rio in texas then i'm gonna go somewhere up north to try to find a merriams to shoot um i never i've never even almost been the kind of guy that's like obsessed with getting any type of slam or anything like that i don't really care but when i started looking at my where i was going i was like man i could potentially do it and then I started to care more. So if I, by that point I've killed those three, then I'll go somewhere, maybe Nebraska or something to try to shoot a Merriams. Garrett, you got any, you got any, uh, big plans for the season? Yeah. I'm starting out in Iowa for Turkey. So we got a couple weekends there. I got the fourth season. And then the earliest tag I can draw in Wisconsin as a non-resident is D typically. So, you know, it's pretty late. Stuff has started to green up quite a bit by that point in time. But I almost kind of prefer that just for running and gunning because you can get a lot closer to them. And late season is it can be really awesome in Minnesota for the same type of reason. There's a lot of birds down in some regions of the state, and you get these big hills and bluffs and unlimited amount of land to run around and chase them and a lot of ag too. So it's just like a mix. However you want to hunt them, you have the opportunity to hunt them down there. And Wisconsin tags are pretty much over the counter. So between those three states, once late April hits, I can pretty much hunt turkeys almost as much as I want. How many birds can you take in Wisconsin? It's one of the higher numbers, isn't it? Yeah, uh, there's not really a limit on it technically because you can buy leftover tags one per day until, you know, like until they run out, which they usually don't run out in the later seasons for certain zones. So theoretically, starting on like, you know, mid-March, you could buy one per day. Um, the most I've heard of like 
anybody actually confirmed shooting in one year is like 16. Um, some guy that just lived next to a big public area and just he was retired and just hunted all the time. But I've I've never I usually like if I shoot two tags like I've, I've had a really good season, you know. Now Nate, you're in like you're in a, a, a one of the I think better turkey states in the in the country. So what uh, what do you got planned? Do you do you, do you venture out on the public land in uh, in Missouri for turkey season, or you you stay close to the deer farms? No, and I'll probably be coyote hunting. But uh, well, I take that back. My son really wants to go again this year, so we'll probably be turkey hunting. But I don't really have a whole lot of public around me, which is a lot of my problem. Uh, the closest public ground to me is about an hour away, and it's marginal at best for for things. And um, so, and the farm I hunt uh, deer on hasn't held turkey lately in the past five years, let's say. Um, but last year, like they showed up, like dozens of them, during turkey season, and so I took him hunting, and boy, he got really close to killing his first his first gobbler. I mean, really, really close. It was awesome. Um, so he'll probably he'll probably want to go again, and I'll take him. Um, but when I have time to get out, I'll probably go after dogs, most most likely. Although there is some time in Missouri that you can't actually hunt coyotes when they're dropping pups and that's usually coincides with turkey season. So who knows what I'll do. Dan, I'm going to ask you about hunting public land turkeys, but I'm going to direct it to Parker. So Dan, this is a question for you. Parker, will you answer? (laughs) So when you're hunting (laughs) Alabama, maybe some of these public. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) This is great. This is great. Right. I was going to just say the same thing, like, well, <laughs> about two hours before the season starts. <laughs> All right, Dan, so when you're hunting like a, a maybe just a, a public place that you've never been, so you just I'm just dropping you off in the woods. And so what, what, what are you looking for? Are you looking for terrain features like you are turkey hunting? Are you looking for the highest ridge? I'm going to go out there and just listen. What are you listening for, Dan? What are you doing in a new public land setting? Parker, this is where you jump in. <laughs> oh, this is really for me. Got it. Yeah, this is literally. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the main thing that I'm going to look for with turkeys is still going to be pressure more than anything. I don't want, I don't want tons of pressure. Um, terrain features are all good. You know, obviously you got to have trees for them to roost in. I don't like in some places where there are just tons and tons and tons of clear cuts um it can be really really good uh because there's only select few trees that they can actually roost in that offer everything their travel routes are going to be just so easy to figure out if like there's one specific public place here in alabama that i can think of that's that way where i mean it's almost everything is a clear cut and turkeys just aren't going to go through it if they don't have to um, now you might see hens nesting in them or doing something like that, but just as far as a, if it's just a big old thicket that I don't find them in there very much, but in those small strips of hardwoods in between clear cuts that it can just kind of pinpoint to where the turkeys are going to be at. So that can be really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, terrain is good. I think turkeys are, are a lot the same as deer. Uh, however, most of the time. 
when I've killed a turkey, it's always been on like the the most open and most uh, easy place for them to get to, especially if you don't have especially if you don't have uh, pressure and they're not just hiding away. I mean, typically the turkeys I find and kill are going to be in the open crap as open as it can be. Parker, do you think moon phase affects the turkeys at all when you're out hunting them? Bro, I don't even know. I... <laughs> that was that was attempted a bad joke. But... <laughs> well, I I mean, I'm joking. It was a joke. Get, it was a I joke. I know people fight about the moon and the really deer all the time. Scientific answer. <laughs> but I don't know. I think turkeys just do whatever they want to do all the time. So Garrett, Garrett what's what's kind of your? You get into the woods. Are you one of those people that you're going to let the woods wake up quiet? I, I asked Dave Owens this question because I wanted to see what his answer was. Cause I think everyone's different. So your MO, you go in the woods, are you letting the woods wake up or are you out hooting hammering a tube call or something that's real loud, trying to get them to shot gobble? What's how, how's your process early morning prior to fly down? If I either roost on the night before, or I know an area that where they're very likely to roost, a lot of times I'll slip in there and just be really quiet and wait for the woods to wake up. And, and then, you know, hopefully I got enough cover that if one does gobble hundred yards off from where I thought he'd be set up, I can just quietly slip in there and get in somewhat close. But if I don't have anything to go off of in the morning, I'm doing the owl hooting and, um, not as much like coyote howling, but, uh, definitely owl hooting in the morning has been as good of a locator as I get. Even <clears throat> this is something I picked up from Shane Stimson using the owl hooter throughout the day. You know, a lot of times I used to think of an owl hoot as like a first light, last light type of thing, but we'd get birds to gobble at 2 p.m., uh, just a barred owl hoot, and it's pretty low-key. You don't, you're not advertising your location as a hunter to the birds by, by calling, so I like doing that too. Yeah, I watched a video a couple years ago of the Primos guys owl hooting at like 2 in the afternoon, and these birds were just hammering, gobbling at this thing, so... I mean, I've, I've had, I've gotten out of my truck in the morning or, you know, afternoon hunts and you close, you close your truck door too loud and they gobble. So they're, they're animals. They're going to do whatever the hell they want, I guess. So Parker, do you, do you use your kayak when you go out for turkeys? Or are you uh, just walking in? You want to avoid pressure. So are you doing the same thing you do with deer? Yeah, pretty much. Most of the time, if I have a, if I have a choice, I'm going to use the water to access. Now, I mean, I'm a lot more likely to just walk into a place with turkeys than I am with deer. Um, just because I'm going to be covering a ton of ground anyway. So, I mean, I might as well just walk in, go back to the far spots. And, and also with turkeys down here in the South, the populations are really declining quite a bit. And so there's, there's not just a, like Southerners are passionate about turkeys but that's not just because we have the best turkey populations. It's it is a very difficult thing to kill birds on a lot of the public areas out here. And uh, I know guys who I know a, a call maker, a local call maker here, who's like in his late forties, and he has been making calls. He's a turkey hunter. He's never killed one out here, and he does it every year. Um, so. I don't even remember where I was going with that, but the pressure aspect, like, um, if, if I am going to go into, if I'm going to walk into a place, I'm going to plan on being there all day pretty much. Cause I'm going to go as far as I possibly can. 
How much calling do you do? Are you just, are you, is that dictated off of you know, taking the turkey's temperature and, and seeing how he's responding? Um, or are you trying to create responses with calling? If you can take their temperature, why don't you just shoot it? <laughs> That's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not that close. Um, yeah, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not even a great, I would not consider myself to be a, a good caller um, or even the smartest whenever it comes to calling. I typically, so when I first started up until probably like maybe, maybe probably the, the first six years of turkey hunting, uh, I probably called too much. Um, about three years ago, I had a, an encounter with a bird that, I mean, I should have shot. I should have killed him. I was within 30 yards of this turkey in the hardwoods from like 9:45 to 3 p.m. and I never could see him because I, I went and did a big horseshoe around him on the ridge and he was just like down in this little tiny bowl just a little tiny terrain feature walking back and forth on it and I couldn't get to him and I overcalled him like crazy because it was freaking six hours of working this turkey so close and uh, I go back and rewatch that video I was like, man, I know I'd have killed that bird if I'd have just shut up, scratched leaves, and quit calling. So at that point, I stopped. Like, I probably don't call enough now. Like, I'm just I'm really hesitant to call just because. Um, and and it's I guess you could say it's it's worked out. I always feel like uh, shutting up and actually listening and focusing and hearing the woods. If you can get a bird that gobbles by himself that you didn't strike, I mean, statistically for me, he's a lot, a uh, lot more likely to be worked if he's gobbling on his own. And so that midday when you're bored, they're not gobbling anymore. A lot of guys will just sit and they'll just wear out a call and I'll pretty much just sit down. I might like lightly call every 30 minutes, every hour or so, and just try to hear one uh, because that's just going to be a, that, that typically plays out better. Now, Parker, in that scenario you laid out where that bird is just working that terrain feature, do you think that bird had hens or do you think he was solo by himself just advertising? No, he was by himself. Um, I struck him up that morning at like 945. I was sitting in a spot and I had actually just been to where he was at. And I was up on top of the ridge and he was down in the bottom, just right barely where the ridge goes back up on the other side of the creek. And I went over to him and got within probably 50 yards and called him again. And he gobbled and he kind of got a little bit closer. Then he started going away. So I moved into probably about 30 yards and I could hear the spit in his, in his gobble. I mean, you could just feel it. And I sat there and called and called and called and he just would not put his head even over that hump. And so I did a big U went up the, the ridge down around him on the other side and sat there for like two hours, basically doing the same thing from the other side. And he just, he just would not show up. I never heard a hen, never even saw him leave. Um, but at just some point he stopped gobbling and I was like, I think he's probably not there anymore. And didn't make a bunch of racket. Wasn't standing around there wasn't birds everywhere scratching. He was just by himself standing in one spot for six freaking hours. Hmm. It's just like the most frustrating time as a turkey hunter. When, I mean, you're like, you're, you're, you're right there. And I was taking him home, man. I was in my head. If you would have, if you would have asked me at 10 o'clock that day, are you going to kill this bird? I said, oh yeah, I yeah. bet my paycheck on it. I'll kill this bird. 
And I should have. I should have just crawled up there and shot him once I learned he wasn't going to come. Yeah, you just have no. You have no idea how how they're going to react, and they're so damn frustrating when they're mm-hmm. so. Uh, I'd say we are we are at an hour uh, of this shenanigans show, and I've had I've enjoyed every second of it. So, Dan, if you would just real quick give us kind of a, a state of the nation, if you will. How how uh, I mean, we've seen on our show a lot of people have been listening. We're we're real grateful. So we got our first review the other day. I was really pumped yeah. about that. First oh, review. was it one star? Is that you? Was that you? <laughs> Pass. One star. Pass. No. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Like, uh, I mean, the I, network as a whole is doing amazing. Yeah. Uh, we're, we have a lot of people who follow us. Uh, and that's because of everybody who's on this show today and everybody who, um, I mean, everybody else who's part of the network. It's, it's just it's taken traction and i think a lot of it has to do with how relatable the content that we put out is it can be digested by any joe Blue, you know who hunts whether they are a weekend warrior or whether they're you know that like us and who spend a little bit more time out in the woods than than four or five days it, it there's something for everybody and I don't know, man, just life is good. And I just am looking forward to, I'll, I'll say it. I, I am looking forward to Turkey season and I am looking forward to this fall. And uh, between then just, you know, a whole bunch of killer content coming out of our camp. And building yeah. bridges, building bridges. Yep. Burn them down. Burn them down. And burn them down again. Yep. <laughs> I really thought when I thought he was going to say, I don't know what to say. I just wake up every morning. Sportsman's Nation's doing awesome. That's excellent. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you guys. Yes, very much so. Take care, guys.